2: Hello and welcome to I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. Uh, thank you so much for all of your messages. I really appreciate how warm and thoughtful and insightful you have all been. I'm thrilled to know that you're enjoying the podcast and, and thank you for opening up to me about your own incredibly moving and inspiring stories. I, I so appreciate that and would love you to keep that going because I'm reading like everything <laughs> uh, to the point where I shouldn't even really admit that. It makes me sound like a massive beg friend, but I am because I want this to be the best podcast possible for all of us. And I want to know what you like less of. And I want to know who you would like to hear me interview and what you would like for us to get into on this podcast and why I'm so, so interested and so appreciative of your feedback. Um, I'm really excited about today's guest. She is someone that I've looked up to for a really long time. She's one of the first super famous people, women in particular, to open up about all of the most taboo subjects like mental health, addiction, rehab, overdoses, therapy, uh, eating disorders, the way we mistreat child stars. I'm talking about Demi Lovato, a woman who is not a saint, has never professed to be one. She's just a human who has become unfathomably successful. I mean, famous in a way that most of us could never even imagine. And she sacrificed her privacy and allowed in so much scrutiny and and accusations of hypocrisy and and smearing and lies from the media and from society just to be able to make sure that if she is open, then she will hopefully let her fans feel like they too can be open and feel seen and heard in whatever struggle they're going through because she's going through it too. You don't see a lot of people do this because of how hard society is on them when they do. In fact, just this week, there is a bloody uh, hashtag going around. It's trending saying, hashtag Demi Lovato is over party. Now, look, I understand that it is important to call out behavior that you don't like. I understand the importance of cancel culture, especially when someone is really malicious and willingly harmful and refuses to learn and can never really make up for the terrible, violent, awful things they've done. Like Harvey Weinstein can fuck off for absolute ever. There is nothing he can ever do that can make up for all the lives that he has taken um, emotionally. But God damn... The cancelitis now, like the fact that we call it a person is over party, like the joy, the vitriol, how much people enjoy dogpiling on one human if they don't like their behavior. I don't know if that is the most constructive way to instigate change. It's just like a witch hunt. And so, yes, we have to be able to call people out and to make them accountable for their actions. But it's just... It's like a sport now. It's like a social sport. Uh, I'm definitely someone who's somewhat been on the receiving end of it. Not too bad. I'm not that famous. And, and also people tend to be, I guess, uh, they like learning with me. So when I fuck up, uh, sometimes it's in ways that other people have also fucked up. And so they join me on that journey. Uh, And I'm very glad to be called out and criticized. But Some of the celebrities uh, or people in power or politicians, the way they get spoken about over one mistake that they could easily remedy and and they are cancelled as if we want them to die and disappear when actually they could be quite helpful to us if they learn and improve. It's just, I don't know. It's all very frustrating, but we actually go into that subject in this podcast. We recorded it before this latest controversy in the media, um, but she does talk about cancel culture as she has been on the receiving end of it for a long part of her career. And we talk about everything that she's been through. She rarely does interviews. And so I'm so honored and touched that she felt safe to go so deep with me during this episode. She's someone that I I like very much personally, and and I think that this is going to be a nice and refreshing insight into someone so famous who the media has created such a, a narrative around and has made us think we know her, but we don't. So enjoy this episode from the very real, very inspiring, very cool, and very human Demi Lovato. I'm so excited that you're here. Demi Lovato, I have been interviewing you for a decade and the feeling never grows old on me. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Oh, thank you. We go back. I'm not actually there. That's but- true.
2: No, that's true. We are social distancing. Yeah. yeah.
0: you're in- We are very social distancing right now. You are in your very
2: neat house. I can see on the video. Is this real? Have you done this just for me?
0: Uh, pretty much. Okay. No, my, mom, I'm, I'm staying with my family, and my mom, like, all she does all day is clean. <laughs> so it's been really nice because I haven't had to clean much. But she just, that's like her way of staying busy during quarantine is just like top to bottom cleaning all day long. So wow, my uh,
2: boyfriend is the exact opposite exactly. of your mother. <laughs>
0: that's awesome. He's just dirtying everything he can find. Just. I mean, stri- I kind of am too. Okay. I spill on everything. I've had to clean my comforter like four times now uh, because I spill so much stuff on it. I keep finding granola in my tits. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just, they're just like buried inside of my tits. I, like I'm, it's like it hurts. It's like it's digging wow. against my bra, but it's a really you
0: know what, what the problem. I don't feel sorry for you because stuff can hide in your tits. <laughs> It just falls straight down with me. <laughs> well, you're lucky because that means. It's,
2: well, I guess I don't know. Then it's going down to your underpants, which is another <laughs> another <laughs> That's nightmare. That's a
0: bigger problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I don't have that Okay, <laughs> so
2: other than the fact that your mother is cleaning frantically, how is your quarantine? How are you? How are you <laughs> keeping yourself sane?
0: Um, My quarantine has been going really well. Um, I initially was like, it was kind of crazy because, so I actually have this spiritual guru person that I see and she told me several months ago, she was like, when your new music starts to take off, um, be prepared that it's going to come to um, it's gonna slow down a lot. Like right as things are taking off, it's gonna slow down. And I was like, What does that mean? And she she was like, I don't really know, but that's just what's gonna happen. So don't panic. And so and when this happened originally, I was like, Oh, this is what she was saying. And um, but she meant and the so, world
2: was gonna slow down.
0: No, she just thought she just was saying, and for what she saw for me, it was gonna slow down. And and then things did, and then they actually kind of stopped. So I've just I really use this time to like uh, spend time with my family. I, I finally watched the entire Harry Potter series <laughs> and I'm obsessed. Great. Um, so, slightly, slightly late to the party. Slightly. Slightly late. Yep. Um, <laughs> But it's okay. Okay, good. I um
2: I think that that's really important. It's something that I've been talking about a lot online, which is that you know there's all this pressure for people to be creative and to create and to become a TikTok star and to you know become yes. a, yeah just to just to uh, start putting out work or finish that screenplay or that book. And there's a lot of talk of that that is making people feel very pressured because they feel a little bit frozen in the fact that everything is so disorientating. They're stuck inside their houses. A lot of people don't well don't do well working around a lot of people. It's just, it's not necessarily a conducive environment for people to create, not for everyone to create. And so I've been saying to people that use this opportunity. If you can't be productive in that way, which I can't, I have nothing, I have nothing to fucking say right now. Uh, The only thing I can do is start to heal myself and take this moment of lock in to just look at what, happened over the last couple of years that has stressed me out. Why is my health the way it is? Why is my mental health the way it is? And start to unpack it really, really tenderly to have time and space to be tender, I think is really important.
0: Yeah, Like I I'm, I'm the same way. I don't really do well working from home. And, um, if I'm home, I want to relax. I want to spend time with, um, whoever I'm with and my dogs. And, um, I, I just do better in the studio. I do better um, on set, you know? So this, I haven't created much while I've uh, been quarantining, but I have been doing a lot of growth and that's journaling, meditating, guided prayers, church, uh, like services from my phone, things like that. Also, I think you're you're no stranger to self-isolating.
2: If we look at like periods and like moments of of like you taking a step back from the industry or being off tour just to write another record and and being so so famous and needing and not being able to necessarily always go and do the things, especially not in the in the sort of like the uh, like the first ten years, you weren't always able to m- like most pop stars able to go outside and just be a regular kid. So you would
0: stay indoors. There's it, what's funny is like one, I'm a homebody because I don't love. I I don't love fame. I love Mm -hmm. being able to reach a lot of people with my music and help them. And I love being able to use my platform for the greater good. But when it comes to paparazzi or getting recognized and things like that, that's just not a part that I really enjoy. So I stay home anyways. I'm a homebody. So yes, I'm, I'm... much more used to self isolation, but I'm also really used to it because I was joking with some friends that I met in treatment before. I was like, "This is this just feels like rehab." I mean, like <laughs> you you're you're on lockdown at a at a facility, um, which most of the time is like a house looking place, or you know they've got beds, and then you don't except in rehab you don't get TV or your phone. So this is actually like luxurious. They give you no TV so- in rehab no you no you don't get to i mean occasionally depending on where you go you get movie night um but that has to be like pre-screened like it's just you know um you're you don't get to go to the store at whenever mm-hmm. you want or postmate whatever you want you know so it's just interesting i was like i'm glad that i've already pretty much done this a few times in life. <laughs>
2: exactly i'm a i'm an introvert and a weirdo so this for me is just <laughs> Her, her, I, this mean, perfect. I
0: think that's why we get along though. Yeah, exactly.
2: That's why, yeah, we've, uh was it, 10 years ago I first met you? Yes, 10, I was. 11 years it, ago. Maybe 11, yeah, because I was 16. And, Jesus. Um, well, you were a joy then. You're a joy now. And watching you. Uh, rise over that course of time has just been so fascinating and inspiring, especially because of how you have chosen to maneuver your career and navigate being a famous person, being a role model, and whether or not you choose to be. I've always considered you a role model. You've been a role model of mine for like a decade, and and you. in particular you were one of the first people I've ever seen really speak out about the things that you did and really come out. And you were the first, But I remember the first time you spoke out about eating disorders and eating disorders within, uh, you know, being a child star and the way that you would talk about mental health or addiction or rehab or the importance of therapy. You were doing this from such a young age. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of why you were the perfect person to come onto this podcast for me. You were my dream guest.
0: Oh, thank you. I mean, when I saw this podcast, I was like, I have to do this at some point. (laughs) Thanks. One, love you. Second, love what it stands for and I love the message behind it. So it was a no-brainer for me.
2: What was that decision to start speaking out? Because I mean you could this couldn't have happened at a more time a time where women were more controlled. We were so controlled back then in particular. This was pre-Me Too, pre-Time's Up. We were not advised by our publicists or by our managers or agents to be real with people. We were just told to be thin and cute and sexy and
0: mysterious. <laughs> yeah, well, um, <clears throat> that is congestion from allergies, not COVID-19. Okay, good, thank you. <laughs> really up right now. Um, whenever it rains in LA, my allergies get crazy. Yeah. But anyway, so I you know, at the time when I had first, um, stepped out onto the scene, well, one, I had kind of had this uh, thing happen to me where someone prophesied over me at a Pentecostal church convention. And, uh, it was just, it basically said, they said, um, you're going to be a hero to thousands of people someday. And, uh, it's going to be through art. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's music! I, I'm ready. I'm so ready." And so I kind of made this like little pact with God, which you're totally not supposed to do, anyways. <laughs> where I was like, "What does that look like? Are
2: you in an alley
0: of some sort doing a deal?" Yeah, I'm actually on Zoom with God, and um, no, he and I'm like. Uh, you know, if you, um, let me be a singer and, um, live my dreams, then I will return the favor by constantly spreading your word and being a good role model and like trying to help. Right. And, um, use it for the greater good. How old
2: were you when you made uh, your back alley deal with God?
0: Like 13, I think. I don't, I don't even remember how old I was, but it was pretty wild and, um, yeah, so fast forward several years. I just knew that when I stepped onto the scene, I mean, nobody had talked about bullying before. Really, I came clean with what I had dealt with in school, and then, and then right after that, there was that documentary "Bully," and and that kind of um, that message uh, kind of took over the headlines for a while, and it was um, a topic of conversation. But I knew from the beginning that I wanted to talk about that because that was something I dealt with that no one in my, in my eyes had really said anything about that. I could have really utilized, um, at that tender age of 12, 13, when I was, I didn't I I
2: didn't know about any of this. What happened at school?
0: So I, uh, I, I, it was just like mean girls stuff. It was never like physical altercations. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they threatened me on the last day of school, but, um, there was like a a suicide petition like that everyone signed trying to yeah saying, if you want Demi to kill herself, sign it. And it was just like, it it was, it was terrible. And it was, and it scarred me and emotionally it was a lot more devastating than a physical um, incident. I kind of said multiple times back then I was like I wish they would have just hit me and gotten it over with like at least I could have fought back like this emotional turmoil that they're doing they kind of like that was the beginning of my eating disorder and um and so those things I knew I wanted to talk about when I went into treatment in 2010 um I came out and um while I was in there my manager at the time had said you know do you want to you you can either, we can stay private about this or we can talk about it and it's up to you. And I was like, you know, I feel like it wouldn't help anybody if I just stayed private and didn't talk about it. So I talked about it, but the problem was, is, you know, I learned in that moment that like, I kind of sacrificed my well-being for everyone else's. Mm -hmm. And over time, I thought that by being totally transparent with the public was going to do, was going to hold me accountable and heal me. But really, it just kind of put me in a position that was, I felt like people were setting me up for failure in a way where like when you put someone on a pedestal, there's only one way for them to go. You can't go anywhere but down if you're all the way up here. So, you know, people just cut when you're, when you're kind of the poster child for something, people will try to find details or start rumors and things like that. And then find examples of hypocrisy,
2: go back through all of your old social media and your old like Tumblr accounts and or they'll just make it up. If they can't find anything, they'll just come up with their own.
0: And, and then there's also the pressure of like, um, kind of, it's not like, I I don't know. I just felt obligated to talk about everything I was going through and, and continued to go through. But over the past year, I've, or year and a half, I've really withdrawn from the public eye. Um, and I've learned so much and it's been so valuable to me. Um, I've learned that I have to keep things to myself in order for me to heal because being transparent doesn't always heal you.
2: Mm-hmm. I think being transparent with healthcare workers and and friends and family that can handle well, that no. information is great, but I, I really, really feel you when it comes to speaking out about something. And also I found this, I, I remember speaking out first of all about eating disorders. And once i have spoken out about that, then suddenly people wanted to talk to me about everything. It's like, well, what do you think of these issues or LGBTQ or this side of the body positive movement? And you suddenly become treated as if you are an expert on everything. And because you don't want to let your fans down or feel like you're closing them out in any way by saying, I don't want to answer that question, you sort of just start trying stuff out and, and saying how you feel about things. And if that thing is not said perfectly you and I, you on a bigger scale because you're way more successful than me, uh, get dragged to within an inch of our lives for just not having had the time to be practiced yet and becoming the sort of, as you said, poster child for just telling the truth. In, in an industry where most people are so polished, so careful about what they say, so guarded by publicists, they don't say what's on their mind. They don't talk about real issues. They talk about the how they maintain their appearance or their love life or the project that they're promoting. They don't talk about themselves or any big issues that matter or any kind of systemic forms of oppression. And you did. And I, I definitely know that I've watched you be expected to speak for all people who've struggled with mental health issues or addiction or eating disorders as if people from those groups are a monolith, as if one person could ever speak to each of those experiences.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting too is like people expect you to talk about these issues right after you've dealt with something. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's been however long since July, 2018, I'm still healing. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have all the answers and I'm not going to for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, even when I like in 2010, when I went through stuff, I came out of treatment and had my first interview within like a month. And it was just kind of insane to think that I I had the audacity to think that I had the answers a month after coming out of t- treatment. Like it's just not realistic for anyone to look at me for the answers. I can give you advice on what's helped me through my experiences. Um, but I, 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 you know, I am d- never going to always say the right thing about these topics, especially because it's not a one size fits all solution. And, um, and I used to think that it was, but it's just not that
2: way. Yeah. And we weaponize it. Sorry, I was just going to say we weaponize it against those who speak out or stand up to big corporations or big patriarchal ideals. The people who push back get punished by the media. Sometimes they get like hailed as the great savior and like you're a saint. Demi's a saint. Demi's speaking for the people. Demi's is the best feminist. And then. And then comes like almost like a cycle after two years, like to just try and prod holes in you and find mistakes. And this, I mean, it's the, it's the cyclical way of the media for all women. Meghan Markle, uh, Roxanne Gay, like you just find any woman who breaks the mold and dares to step outside of her pigeonhole. It's such an interesting mm-hmm. like rise to the top in a way that we haven't asked for. You haven't uh, you hadn't asked to be put on that pedestal, but it's a perfect yeah. height, as you said, to be kicked off of, and it's a long way down. So I love you for the fact that you have still continued to find ways either through your art or through your social media to connect with your fans and still uplift them. I was going to ask you when the first time you realized you were struggling with your mental health was.
0: Um, I guess I realized when I was like 11 um, was the first time I understood the term mental health. I had started showing signs of depression and suicidal ideations at the age of seven. And, um, but I hadn't understood what the term mental health was. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I realized that I was struggling. Um, when I was seven and I was struggling, I just was like, Oh, this is just how I feel. I didn't realize it was a problem. So, um, when, um, when I was able to, get some help and talk to the guidance counselor at school. And then I realized I could be doing things to, to better my mental health. And, uh, but still, you know, when you're, when you're in middle school, it's, it's not easy. And sometimes you just choose to suffer rather than putting in the work because you don't really have a lot of hope that it's going to get better because middle school is really hard. And you don't have any information that's out there. (laughs) Well, and that's another problem is they really need to be teaching this stuff in school. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't, if you're teaching students the signs of bipolar disorder or other mental illnesses or eating disorders or substance abuse, if you're teaching people the signs of these um, issues, then it might plant the seed and re- strike awareness in their head earlier and they can catch it earlier. You well, know? Knowledge is power. Like we can't, especially
2: not with social media. We can't protect kids from the internet. We can't no, stop
0: them. And it's better that we teach them in school than the internet anyways. I wish that I would have learned everything from school rather than the internet. But unfortunately I learned so much from the internet before I learned in school. And there's no one
2: to combat that information. I'll tell you how to navigate porn, revenge porn, uh, mm-hmm. Photoshopping, airbrushing photographs, FaceTune, all these different things that kids are coming up with. I cannot, I don't think I would be alive. Honestly, like knowing how fragile my mental health is, had I grown up in this moment now of social media, I don't know how I would have made it through. And that's why I guess it's so important to have these conversations about what is true. And how much of what we see in media and social media is such bullshit. Yes, definitely. Um, so, okay. So then, of course, you go through extreme bullying in your teens, which then I imagine worsens your mental health and triggers your eating disorder. And mm-hmm. also, do I remember correctly you talking about the fact that the industry was also perpetuating your eating disorder?
0: Yeah, I mean, we and we've had tons of conversations about how... Mm-hmm. In- all the media can be um, and the pressures that are put on women in the industry. I was just what's 15, 16, 17, 18. And, um, and so I was young and dealing with pressure, a changing body um, as an adolescent. And then I just, the only way that I knew how to control my, um, my overworking overworked schedule was to control my food. And, um, and I also learned to cope with depression and other things that way too. So, um, yeah, it's, it definitely exacerbated my eating disorder. It did not help at all. Photo shoots and, movies and videos and things being in front of cameras did not help
2: no for sure and also sample fucking sizes you and i you and i meet up for private rants about all of this shit (laughs) so it's nice to
0: be able to share this with the world but sample sizes they are i I don't i don't know many people that are sample sizes and that's crazy that it's called the sample size because that's supposed to represent most women yeah but women are not sample sizes so it is frustrating and you know, hopefully that starts to change. So for people
2: who don't know, a sample size is basically, uh, when you have designers and they're creating a runway show, all of their pieces will be, uh, made one size.
0: That size is fucking tiny. And what people don't realize is people think, oh, well, why is that important? Why does it matter to fit into a sample mm-hmm. size? Well, if you want to be on the cover of Vogue magazine someday, you got to be seen wearing the hottest piece before anyone else does. Mm-hmm. And those pieces aren't made in other sizes yet. They are made in only sample sizes. Mm-hmm. So, in order to be seen in that Versace outfit before whoever else is seen in it, you have to be able to fit into it. And unfortunately, like if if you don't fit the sample size, then you're not getting the hottest stuff at the hottest times. And, and you can't.
2: You, and you well, can't promote your work. It's it's
0: yeah, like a con- contract. Yeah, we have to
2: promote our work.
0: Yeah, and you can't. You don't. I, I've never really, I haven't done the whole fashion thing yet. Like I've never been to fashion week, um, mm-hmm. in Paris or New York. Like I've never done any of that. And because one, because I've been so hyper aware of my recovery that like, I, I don't want to trigger myself, but two, I don't want to um, show up to a fashion week where, uh, you know, most people are expected you to show up wearing sample sizes. And so I've kind of like, I've not done the fashion thing. And, um, until like, you know, I make it a priority to get that cover and to chase that goal and that dream and to be a fashion person like um until that's important to me i'm just gonna focus on other stuff yeah also
2: also Uh i'm glad that now you have a stylist we have the same stylist who's willing to help you find clothes that fit your fucking body or he will make them fit your body i love law roach for that uh he's a proper feminist but yeah i um i just wear everything open at the back like a bib sort of like a (laughs) like an apron Uh Uh, And so, my my bum is out most of the time. It's uh, I have a freezing cold asshole because it's always out, <laughs> bearing it to the world, moonwalking down the red carpet so no one can see. Um, I, yeah, I it's something that I I've just I've never been able to fit into them. I'm five foot ten. I have I have I have hips.
0: Yeah. I, I'm also five three and like three quarter. I don't know. I'm I'm not five ten. I am not. Mm-hmm as tall as a model. So, um, I have to shorten everything. Like it just, it's complicated for me in, in many different ways. And I
2: imagine there must've been so much pressure with that because there was a while where you were just never out of the public eye. You were always touring, always having to fit into these costumes on, uh, on, on stage and always in the magazines, always on the red carpets, going to all these different award ceremonies, winning all these awards. Was that driving that into a frenzy with the eating disorder stuff?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's really interesting that as my career just started to take off again, it slowed down. And I, I almost think it's God's way of protecting me because when I do get super busy, um, that is one way that I have in the past, um, tried to manage my schedule is by, um, you know, finding some way to control my food and, Um, food or exercise. And yes, that was heavily perpetuated um, when I was super, super busy. And now things started, things like as they were taking off, they just slowed down again. And so I've been able to like really ease into work again. And it's been really nice. Um, But yes, that definitely was um, a stressor for me. I
2: love the fact that for you having grown up for such a long time, struggling with an eating disorder and struggling with trying to maintain this this incredibly slender physique and trying to fit into the size that all pop stars are supposed to fit into. I love the fact that you pushed back and posted curvaceous photographs of yourself with empowering messages of self-love for your body. And now you've become one of the faces of of learning how to accept your image and and learning how to love the skin that you're in. That's become such a, you are one of the only faces out there in the mainstream on your level who now represents being able to push back against the standards and, and love yourself as you are.
0: Well, you know, I just kind of, it was like a year ago, a year, almost a year and a half ago, I was in treatment and I was thinking, all right, here we are again. Um, I, I really need to get a hold of this thing because it has now followed me back into treatment, and along with other issues. And I thought, all right, what do I have to do to beat this finally for good? Because I can't disguise it with over exercising and dieting, and call that um healthy like for me that i was in a mental prison in my head for some people they can exercise twice a day and not be in a mental prison but that's not me i just did you weaponize not,
2: did you weaponize food i weaponized the shit out of food food was comfort
0: food was food was love food was rebellion food was yeah it was everything to me it was everything and so i was just like you know i talked to my, um, the, one of the people that was helping me with my eating disorder. And she was like, uh, what would you, what would you do if I, what would you say if I told you that the only way to heal from your eating disorder is to not whip yourself back into that tip top perfect shape you want to be in before your next photo shoot? Um, And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. And she was like, you can't do both. You have to choose. And so I just, I chose, I was, and I was like, I'm just tired of living in that mental prison of like trying to lose weight to look good for my fabletics campaigns and things like that, which nobody there puts pressure on Mm -hmm. me. They've been amazing. Yeah, I was just like, she, she, you know what she said to me? She was like, I use this example in treatment all the time. I say to my, my, Clients, raise your hand if you want to lose weight. Like pretend you're swimming in the ocean, and I tell you, you have to stay afloat, right? But raise your hand if you want to lose weight. So you raise your hand, right? Like because we all do, and like eating disorder recovery, like or early eating disorder mm-hmm. of recovery. And then she was like, "Okay, raise your hand if you're willing to do something about it." And um, And I went to raise my other hand and she was like, but how are you going to stay afloat if you do both? Mm -hmm. She said, it's okay to want to lose weight. It's okay. That is a natural thing. But acting upon it is what puts you in danger. And then you can't swim. You can't stay afloat if you have both hands in the air. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. So I've really utilized that message a lot over the past year of like, it's okay for me to look in the mirror and be like, I'm not where I want to be. That's okay. Am I acting on it? No. And that's what's going to keep me on the right path is not acting on
2: it. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to a quick break and then we're going to come right back. Okay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really Really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know, you're going to get that hour Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash I today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P.com slash iWay.
0: Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because.
2: and we're back so what would you say has helped you when it comes to your recovery specifically what has helped you i know that you've had like rehab and you have therapy has have you unfollowed people on social media that you find triggering when it comes to their images have you done a good mute i mute the people that i don't want to controversially unfollow
0: Uh, well, you know, it's hard because some of my friends are really fucking beautiful people and I don't want to mute my friends. So like, you know, it's like, like if I know, if I don't really know the person, then yes, I'll mute them or unfollow whatever. But, um, for me, I think what's been the most helpful is, um, I had to, um, reject the term body positivity. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to, um, like really, and I think you were the one that taught me about this was body acceptance Mm -hmm. and of just like, I'm not always going to feel okay in the skin that I'm in. And for so many years, I kept lying to myself. And I thought that by telling myself, I thought the term fake it till you'll make it was the way to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would look in the mirror and be like, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. But I would just lie to myself. And then it. And then just lying to myself felt even shittier. So then I was like, okay, well, now I'm just not believing it and it's not working. So now what? So what I started doing was like, okay, I'm not there yet. And I'm not going to be there yet. If I keep doing this, what I need to do is shift my thinking into gratitude. So when I look in the mirror, instead of saying, it's not where I want to be, or I'm beautiful and I don't believe it, I look in the mirror and say, what are facts that I know about my body? My body survived something insane, a near-death experience, and I'm here today. So I'm grateful for my strength. I'm grateful for my strength that I'm able to bounce back from that and still be able to work out and do things like MMA, things that I love, Um, that I'm able to play instruments with my hands, that I am healthy, and that, um, you know, I'm taking care of myself just things like that. And then also, I think the biggest thing for me was learning to legalize food. I knew that was a huge step in the beginning mm-hmm. of my eating disorder recovery, but for so long, it I couldn't bring myself to get there. So I would think to myself, Okay. So I used to have this obsession with Twinkies, right? (laughs) Like this was like in 2016, 17, I had this obsession with Twinkies. I love that. It's such a basic food. So good. Love a Twinkie, by the way. I, I, okay. So here's what happened. So I, I was working with somebody who was like, I want you to eat a Twinkie at every meal. Mm. And I was like, what? And, um, (laughs) like it didn't end up happening but that was her her way of like you need to introduce it have one twinkie not both but one at every meal so she started she taught me this thing and then my dietitian ended up teaching me whenever you are craving a certain food you need to allow yourself to have it ask yourself what are your intentions and if you just really want it just order it so for a while there i allowed myself to eat a twinkie whenever the fuck i wanted and I ate so many fucking Twinkies that I got sick yeah, I of them. I was going to say, can and- you even look at a Twinkie now? No, oh, you mentioned it. And I was like, ah. like I just don't, I don't crave it anymore. And what went? it went from this forbidden food and the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden yeah. to now I don't even crave it. And I've adapted that um, mentality with food and legalization in my life. And it's helped so much to where... Right now, I am currently legalizing in and out, so I'm having it. A- <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I like went through my legalization with Taco Bell, and I'm like a little sick of it, sadly, because I, which I never thought could happen. No, I've but- done the
2: same thing recently with pizza. <laughs>
0: <Right>? Yeah. <laughs> It just is like, and, and and I went through it with sweets where like for years I binged on sweets. That's all I would binge and on. And your,
2: your binging was like mine. It was secret, right? You wouldn't binge in front of other people. You would binge on your own.
0: I, I, I couldn't. I wasn't allowed to. Yeah. Like I had to in secret. Because you
2: were around so many people that would scold you for yes. it, who you work with.
0: Yes. Worked and so past I, tense with. Yeah. So <laughs> it's so I, you know i I knew that I had to keep it a secret, and most of the time it didn't stay a secret but um i yeah it it was just one of those things where um where i I had to keep it a secret, and then once I legalized sweets over the past year, I rarely ever have them because I just and I think that we live in a in a society today where people teach us that certain foods are bad, and we have to eliminate the term bad. And just allow ourselves to have it. If it's going to bring us joy, let it bring you joy. Yeah, it's a lot, you know, a lot yeah.
2: of coding with like good food, bad food, healthy food, yes. unhealthy, clean, dirty, I think is one of the most damaging.
0: And I still have to check myself yeah. when I say I need to start eating clean again. Like when this whole thing happened, I was like, I need to clean up my diet. I need to eat healthier. And my dietitian was like, can we just... Try to rework your wording around that because I don't think that's a healthy way of looking at it. If you want to enhance your the nutritional value in your food so that your body will benefit from it, that's a different mm. way of saying it that's more beneficial to your mental health, yeah. I, I think that's
2: really great. And that's been, I had therapy. I had EMDR therapy for my binge eating issue because I would binge start, binge starve, binge starve. I think I did that for almost 20 years, which is a real, that's so much to put your digestive system through. And right. uh, I mean, I would eat until I was literally having to Skype my poor boyfriend at the time uh, on all fours because it's the only way I could breathe. That,
0: the fact that you hear that over. This interview is so awesome. Like you're fearless. <laughs> I, I would literally not be able to breathe unless
2: I was on all fours. I would have to create gravity space for my fucking what stomach.
0: People what people don't realize is the amount of stress that puts on your stomach. You can your stomach can rupture I know. from that, that hard and
2: um, A model I, died I, from that. A model binged to death. She consumed something like 19 pounds that. of food and I think her stomach burst it was pretty, pretty yeah. intense. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, uh, people,
0: don't, people don't realize how dangerous eating disorders are. It's actually in the United States, uh, the number one cause of death. death with mental health issues. Um, and people don't realize that because they don't put it on the death certificate as anorexia or bulimia. They put organ failure or heart failure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, people don't, and then people don't see that it was caused by the eating disorder. So they don't realize that just statistic is so high. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary. I knew of girls that had gone to the treatment center I went to. That one girl, I think she was like 19 or 20. And she wasn't underweight, but she was bulimic and her heart gave out just from the stress that it put on her heart. Mm-hmm. And that, that is um, really, uh, really frightening, you know?
2: Me reading about Karen Carpenter and how she actually died once she was trying to the singer Karen Carpenter when she was she'd been anorexic for her entire career. And it was when she was actually in recovery trying to gain weight again that that's when her heart failed. Because I think the weight gain, I believe, came on like too fast because you starved for so long. So when you've starved yourself for a really long period of time, your body, uh, once you start eating, it's like you know, and we see this because we're sick, we've been cyclical dieters. So like once you your metabolism slows down and your body goes in starvation mode of some sort. I'm not a doctor, I can't use that term with any kind of authority, but your body hangs on to food and hangs on to fat as soon as it after after it's been deprived for a long period of time. And reading about the fact that that's how much of a trap this is that sometimes even when you're trying to get better, if you yes. do it too fast, yeah, I just, the whole thing just freaked me out. And I realized that I, you know, we only ever have a, a somewhat of a window of opportunity to really be able to salvage ourselves. And my body is never really going to get better. Like my kidneys are never going to get better because I took, I did, I took all the teas, I bought all the products. I did all the cheat methods. I wasn't just a traditional binge and starver. I was taking every shortcut I could possibly find on the internet, ordering all kinds of powders and bullshit, which is why I'm such a maniac now when I see anyone else pushing anything. Um, But it's...
0: Oh, awesome. have made a difference, which well, is
2: amazing. yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that I've managed to at least reduce the amount. I've, uh, that video of me shitting on a toilet has at the very least made it too embarrassing to sell any <laughs> of these <laughs> teas or products. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be on the cover of GQ anytime soon since that video. But that's, that's, that's okay. Yeah, offers from male magazines of dread right up. <laughs> has... Speaking out about this, other than the fact that I know it's massively invaded your privacy and held you to (laughs) impossible standards, has it also been a relief? And has it been nice to not have to keep that secret in? And has it been nice to have millions of girls around the world be able to feel seen and heard because of the way that you've clapped back and spoken out about things?
0: I know that I am fulfilled by what change I can make in this world. Mm -hmm. That's what's fulfilling for me. Not awards, not records, not numbers. I I still have not looked at a chart since I released Sober, which was 2018. I I didn't look at the charts for anyone. I didn't look at them for I Love Me. Like, I just don't fucking care because that's not why I do this. Like, I release music with a message so that I can get my story out and so that I can share my music for people that I think are going to Really and need it, and you made it. And you
2: made the deal with God, so you owe you owe God. (laughs) You made a ton of money, (laughs) and you have loads of Instagram followers. You owe God big.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, No, he. You know what's great about him is I don't owe him anything. He's gonna love me no matter what. Yeah, I choose. But, anyways, like I say, the the fulfillment that I get from talking about body image issues and body uh, acceptance and trying to help young people build their selves self, este- self esteem and um, just uh, other things that we've talked about, you know, being able to talk about this stuff has been really fulfilling because there was nobody doing that that I was looking up to mm-hmm. when I was twelve or thirteen, and that was like that was really sad for me because the only people that I, I think there was like people, women that were in their forties and fifties that had been stars in the past that were finally coming out talking about their eating disorder recovery. But that was nothing that I could relate to because I was a 12 year old and I was like, I need somebody whose body is changing right now to be able, or has had a change, <laughs> uh, has gone through puberty with an eating disorder. Like I need that to talk to and to look up to and
2: also someone so, who's someone who's fallen and has been able to pick themselves back uh, up again
0: yes and, and I needed a real um because in the time that I was uh, you know that was when young Hollywood everyone was sickly thin when the, the term heroin chic was like what people use to describe the fashion um supermodel look yeah and that was so unhealthy for me to grow up looking up to mm-hmm. um, same, so, same. so i'm I'm really i'm grateful that my little sister um has had people um she's eighteen now and she's um she's done awesome. I'm so happy that she's turned out to be such a strong and courageous woman, but she also is just so confident in herself and she Um, she like is all about body acceptance too. And she has all these other women to look up to. She's probably got the right
2: vocabulary and dialogue for it that we didn't have when we were younger.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, it's really, really cool to be able to witness that. And I, and I hopefully have had something to do with that in a way of making it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I would have
2: spoken out without someone like you to look up to and the fact that you were just I used to sit opposite you in interviews and not be able to fucking believe some of the shit that you were saying on television (laughs) or on live radio like because I would interview all of these polished pop stars and actors and actresses all of the time who would just give me these sort of like almost robotic level media trained answers and then you would just be like well I just came back from rehab and therapy 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 and you need you everyone needs rehab and you would just be I mean it's on Tape like oh this. You just didn't give a fuck. You would talk about your body, and you would talk about just—I mean, you talked. There was nowhere that you wouldn't go with me over the last ten years, in all these little moments that we would find each other. We're going to come back, and I want to talk more about this in a second.
1: eBay Motors is here for the ride with some elbow grease and a whole lot of love. You transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own led headlights spoilers whatever you need ebay motors has it at affordable prices and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply the living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories
2: Okay. We're back. Um, I want to talk to you about what do you think has been your steepest learning curve over the course of your career?
0: Um, my steepest learning curve over the course of my career was, um, well, I think that learning to set boundaries Mm -hmm. with other people is okay. Um, that was something that I have just learned over the past year and a half. Um, I had to learn that by not setting boundaries, it put me in the position that I was in. Right. So talking about, um, every detail of every part of my life, whether it be a relationship or whether it be, um, my recovery, you know, it just, it wasn't, um, nothing was sacred to me anymore and because i've spent some time out of the public eye um i've been able to do so much healing i've done more healing on myself in the past year and a half than i have the the past that entire 6 years that i went around the world preaching about recovery you know mm-hmm. i've done more healing now than i did then because i'm able to heal because i'm not talking about those things with the media you know i'm not i'm not telling people details that they can tear me down with. And you're not being
2: held to an insane standard and you're not being asked to be the representative. You've pulled yourself out of having to be the representative of absolutely every portion of your life. I'd say, especially considering your most recent single, uh, I Love Me, I'd say that you're still definitely out there with the message of us discarding our hatred of our own bodies. But other than that, I think it's fine to set yourself free. And what about boundaries when it comes to toxic people? Because I found that that was the number one thing that helps yeah, me so was boundaries. cutting people off and out of my life in order to protect myself. We, so, especially as women, we're never expect, we're never, it's never accepted that we will be cold enough. That's the word they use for us as cold uh, mm-hmm. to cut people out of our lives or change gears or shift who we're hanging out with. I,
0: um, I do cut a lot of toxic people out of my life over the past year and, um, you know, I kind of used to be have this mentality that if I had negative um, a negative experience with someone, I always needed to mend it, or um, I always needed to make things right. And the fact of the matter is, is you know, I'm not really friends with any of my exes today because I had to realize that that wasn't healthy either. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to maintain um, close friendships with some of my exes. It just isn't realistic. It's There's actually a reason why people don't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And for so long, people would be like, how are you still friends with your exes and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, I don't know, I just am. And that was because I was um, afraid of like fully letting go of people. And now that I've been able to fully let go of people, mm-hmm. you know, that is um, another thing that I had to learn um, when it comes to cutting toxic people out of your life. If they're an ex, it's for a reason. So yeah. I find that if I've seen someone's scrotum, I can't
2: be friends with them, as a rule. <laughs> <laughs> just as, that's my rule. I
0: I, I can't. Seen a lot more than scrotums?
2: scrotum, like vagina, anything. If I've seen, if I've seen your shit down there, I, I can't. I can't know you as a friend anymore because I'll always be thinking about it while I'm sitting opposite you. That's it. <laughs> I'm just- Totally I can't weird. I can't help it I'm a weird I'm a weird guy I don't want th- to I don't want these thoughts think. Demi okay I don't, I don't want to live like this
0: for me I think it's if I've been in a full relationship yeah. with someone um it's just not like healthy for me no. to continue with you and I have both
2: been in hot water before. We've said the wrong thing or uh, accidentally with the best of fucking intentions.
0: Uh,
2: no, <laughs> and so um, we won't get into it at all. But the the pushback is so incredibly intense, and it must be times a hundred for you with the size of your following. What do you yeah. feel about cancel culture? Having been someone who kind of like oscillates up and down in the industry, like everyone loves you, everything everyone thinks you're perfect, and then everyone hates you and, and feels offended by you.
0: I've been canceled so many times that I can't even count like the, the hashtag demi is over party, like that that whole thing. Um, it's just like it doesn't even affect me anymore. So one, it's just not real. I don't think that anybody was ever officially canceled, otherwise. Um, certain people wouldn't have Grammys today. Certain people wouldn't have Oscars and certain people, um, wouldn't be, you know, where they are in their positions. But, um, I think what people need to, I, what, where is the forgiveness culture? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I, I, I do to a certain degree, there are some people that just, if you have used up your second and third chances with a certain topic, you're canceled and you should stay canceled. Mm -hmm. Um. But if you mess up and you apologize and you come forward and you say, I've learned from this, then let that be an example for other people so that they can change too. Mm -hmm. You can't change unless you address what's wrong and provide a solution. If there's no solution, there's not going to be change. That's why the cancel culture will not work unless people have some sort of mercy. Yeah. And you have to be able to, to do that. Um, you know, I I think that if if it's somebody that, you, you know, just refuses to learn, just has the entitlement of, I can never do any wrong and I can get away with this, mm-hmm. um, then, yeah, then go ahead and cancel them.
2: But- yeah, I'll just become the president of the United States. It's fine. Either way. Uh, <laughs> I don't expect you to get into that. <laughs> just, I know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but I... I do think that that's true. And I also worry that it devalues progress.
0: Yes, exactly. I know that. I know that I've had people tell me, I, you know, I've gone through this, but I haven't talked about it. And I really, uh, I really commend you for doing so. It's just, they're afraid of the, they're afraid of relapsing. They're afraid of some of the stuff that I've been and, through and, and
2: they're afraid. Yeah. They're afraid of the, of the lack of public mercy.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And, um, because the public is so quick to judge, they don't understand things like addiction. They don't understand Mm -hmm. things like that. So when someone relapses, they think, um, they're very judgmental, you know? Yeah. Um, Or when somebody get sober, they think, oh, they have to be sober the rest of their life. And it's like, the the truth is, it's like, it's not a one size fits all solution for everyone. And it's different for every single person. So you just have to find out what works for you and stick to that.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm hoping that we will find some sort of kindness after this moment. I think I also, of course, people in power have to be more responsible. I'm definitely one of those people who should have thought more before I've spoken a couple of times. But also I think that there's a difference when you can tell when someone's intentions are inherently malicious. And and I also don't want us to turn our backs on the people who can be most helpful just because they fucked up once 10 years ago or one year ago and they've come back and changed from it. I don't want us to, we don't have the luxury of cutting out allies
0: who have influence and power and money who can help. Right, I actually think that like there can that can represent more change mm-hmm. than for than um, following somebody that's never messed up. you know if you are able to witness somebody who has made a remark that is offensive um, to someone, they come out of that say, hey, I didn't realize that was offensive or you're right um you know i'm I apologize I'm sorry it won't happen again and they, or they become an ally to that community whatever community that is um that is more of an example of change than anything than you know so it's it's people really have to keep that in mind i agree who do you look up to for
2: hope and inspiration
0: um one person that i really look up to for hope and inspiration is my mom um my mom had an eating disorder for many 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 years and she has lived in recovery for the past however many years. Um, she's done so well and she is literally the most cheerful person that I know. And like she was in, she's gone through so much and um, she has a whole book to show people for, you know, like it talks about her childhood. It talks about her first marriage. It talks about what she's been through personally. And um the fact that she is just still one of the happiest, most cheerful people that I know is insane to me. Mm -hmm. Um because it just goes to show you that um like you that what you go through doesn't have to become you. you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like you are in a happier place now? Oh
0: my gosh. Yeah. Definitely so much happier, so much healthier um stronger, more in control, uh, more in control, and also just not as reckless, you know, like I used to like I had a dream the other night that I went skydiving, and I did go skydiving like two years ago, but um, I don't think I'd do it today because I just value my life, oh more. yeah, I would never and, I'd shit myself midair there's no there's <laughs> no
2: way. <laughs> It's
0: just like, for me I didn't value my life enough to not jump out of a plane and now I do and yeah. so that's if that's showing up in my dreams it's a testament to how well I'm doing absolutely
2: that's such a good point I've never yeah. thought about that I both my boyfriend and I have come out of terrible terrible depression like just life-stopping depression mm-hmm. and anxiety when we were younger and we both make such better decisions. The, food that we eat, the speed at which he drives the car, all of the things that yes. I, the jobs that I take, everything I do is in the name of preservation now, rather than just yeah, recklessly. When you
0: n- value your life, when you value your friends, your family, um, when you value things bigger than your job and material things, then you start to see life for the bigger picture mm-hmm. and it becomes important to you to be here.
2: Yeah, Exactly. That's a really nice sign. I think it's a great thing for people to be able to look out for in themselves mm-hmm. and to also look out for whether or not they are making reckless decisions and why. I wish someone and, had and pointed I'm that saying, out to me, by yeah. the way.
0: Yeah. And I'm not saying for everybody jumping out of a no. plane is reckless. It's so fucking crazy. People but people yeah. Plane. Okay. <laughs> for some people, that's what they need and that's yeah, what they yeah. have fun. It's like, yeah. for me, I kind of did it out of like a, it was like, uh, I, I kind of, it was almost a dare in a way, but like, it was an ego thing for me. And now I put my ego aside before I, I do things and I check with my values and think, is this um, conducive with my values?
2: Yeah. Also some people do it because they feel so fucking numb. You know, that's why I used to do dangerous that- dumb yeah. shit is because I felt numb. Even, even the binging I would do was just to feel something, even if that thing was just guilt. I wanted mm-hmm. to or like pain, physical pain. I wanted to feel something because I was just trapped inside of myself. So I agree. And no, sh- no shade, no shade for all you plane jumpers out there. I'm just jealous. <laughs> I'm just jealous because no. I
0: don't have the balls. <laughs> Be jealous. I'm jealous because I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And uh, what the fuck was it like? Hard. What was jumping out of a plane like? Honestly, honestly, it was beautiful. I would do it like I would want to do it again, yeah. but I just, you know, it's scary. I don't know. You've taken enough risks in your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've done enough risks. I'm, it's, I'm retiring the risk-taking. Okay, like, right. Well, dangerous. that's
2: good to know because you're back. You sang at the fucking Super Bowl. Yes.
0: Was that very intense? That was, so leading up to it was more intense than the actual, like, performance. The actual performance, I had this weird sense of peace that came over me when I stepped on the field and I just like prayed. I was like, please take my nerves away. And then they went away. And, um, I felt amazing. I just went out there and I practiced and rehearsed so many times too, that I was like, okay, I have done this enough to where it's just muscle memory now and I don't have to think about it. So, um, and that was, you know, the difference in being prepared and not prepared, Mm -hmm. I think in the past I haven't been prepared and, um, and it showed, you know, now I have a different team around me that, that helps me get prepared and make sure that I'm going to do the best that I can mm-hmm. and how what I need to do that. So what is next for Demi Lovato? Um, what's next is more self isolation, cool. <laughs> uh, more interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be interviewing some people and also I have a show on Quibi coming out. Oh, yeah. Um, that I'll be filming once all of this is over. Um, I'll also finish my album once all of this is over. But in the meantime, I'm just going to be meditating and painting and playing with my dogs and practicing piano and guitar. Lovely. Demi, before you go, will
2: you please tell me what do you weigh?
0: I weigh being a role model. I weigh being a daughter. I weigh being a sister. I weigh being a dog mom. I weigh being a hopefully future human mom someday, mm-hmm. and um, and I weigh being a new Potterhead because now that I have finished the Harry Potter series, uh, all the movies, I am now a Potterhead. Great!
2: I thought you said a different type of pot head for a second. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you're no. joining the Harry Potter fans. Oh, I'm so. I think yes. they'll be thrilled to have you.
0: You know, what, if I come out with a lightning bolt face hat after this quarantine, <laughs> it, it's not my fault. Okay, I've never seen it. I've never read the books, so I've no idea what you're talking about. But maybe I will. Well, maybe I will you join. You and James need to start the series because let me tell you, there's nothing better than fantasy movies right now because it completely takes you out of reality and it's so nice. Have you seen my boyfriend? (laughs) Of course, he's already read all the
2: books and seen all of the (laughs) films.
0: (laughs) True, (laughs) true.
2: Um, Thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. I I really appreciate you being so open with me and with the audience. So many people look up to you and to hear the details of your journey is so special from someone who lives such a unique life and yet in so many ways has parallels with the rest of us. Um, I love you and you know that Uh, and I'll speak to you soon, but thank you so much. Of course. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. A quick thank you to the people who make this podcast possible Uh, Kimmy Lucas my producer and Sophia Jennings who is also one of the producers on the podcast a big thank you to my boyfriend James Blake who I forced to make the theme tune for this and uh, I love it very much and uh, I'd like to thank myself